bum bum bottom 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 bum b
the online discourse, like the Rotten Tomatoes scores, critical reactions, even processing the reactions of the other critics who sit around you. Right, yes, yeah. Watching the film for the first time, I feel like it is kind of undermining your joy. Uh, Yeah, I think what I learned this week is that uh, I need to remove myself from the discourse, especially if we are going to be talking about something. Like if we are going to review something, I really need to remove those outside voices. I also feel like, you know, we, we've discussed this in the past, but expectations are the enemy of a good time. That's, That's right. your phrase. That's one of our, our tenets of comic book couples counseling. And I feel like I am truly starting to understand that notion better and better. And I feel like with films like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania or anything, even a comic book like Superman number one, you have so much enthusiasm for the character or characters already that you need that thing to be good yes when it's a new release the stakes seem so high and really they're not right right because there are so many ant-man stories already out there there are already so many superman stories out there and just because something is new doesn't mean that that new thing has to hold up to your entire philosophy around that character and if you can shed that kind of uh, platonic ideal and just accept the thing that's in front of you, the more fun you'll have with it. Right. One of the things that really helped me with this previously, and I wish I had brought this philosophy into my Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania viewing experience, is how Grant Morrison treated the Batman franchise in their run. If you look at their time on the series, they said all Batman are valid. Mm-hmm. Grant Morrison looked at every iteration of that character, every style, every tone, and they tried to incorporate that into their run, and they did so extremely successfully. And that run, what Morrison did there, helped me appreciate previous Batman iterations that I don't think I held to the same regard as my favorite interpretation. So like I came away with that really loving Adam West's Batman. I came away from that run really loving the 50s era Batman. I came away from that run appreciating even Joel Schumacher's take on Batman with Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, two movies that I once despised. But Looking at those films now and seeing all the other versions of Batman that we've had cinematically as well as on the page, they're not as significant. They're Mm. just a chapter. They're just a moment. And we have to realize that when we go into a movie like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania or even when we pick up Superman number one, which we loved, Mm -hmm. we freaking loved it. But even if that Superman number one doesn't necessarily live up to what you want Superman to be, It's not an attack against you. Yeah. Like, we do have this habit of whatever the version of the character is now is, like, the sum total of the character. And history tells us, the entire history of comic books and storytelling in general tells us, is that the now is such a tiny thing. Such a now is so tiny 
and temporary. Like it's one thing to have the principle, all Batman are valid. It's really hard to go outside of yourself and uphold the principle yes, of all yes, Batman are valid. Yes. You know, Ant-Man's been around since the 60s. Superman and Batman, they've been around since, what, 1939, early 40s, right? Uh, the reason they succeed, the reason they're still around is because so many creators have contributed to their legacy, right? And not every creator is doing the same thing. And we need to embrace that variety. And when we see something that doesn't necessarily align with how we see that character to be, we should consider it. We should consider mm. that other point of view. And that doesn't mean we have to love that other point of view, but I don't think we should necessarily reject it as bad or wrong. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that we need to, like, I feel like we need like a meditation or something, words of affirmation to say to ourselves, to remind ourselves, like as we go into a film, like, hey, let's not bring all of our baggage about these characters or about this franchise into this experience. I like the idea of using all Batman are valid as a mantra. Right. <laughs> like but, as I walk into the theater or as I go to my comic book shop. But I don't think that the all Batman are valid issue was the only baggage you brought into that film. No, it's 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 the relationship that I have with the online discourse that can, <laughs> that sometimes it's just so immense. I really need to maybe mute some words, right. mute some accounts. I used to do that all the time. Like when Avengers Endgame was coming out, like two months before that film came out, because I just wanted to experience it on its own merits, I muted all words associated with that film, all the Avengers, all the creators, right? And I, I have stopped doing that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think if I'm really excited about a new release, and it, especially if it's something that we're going to talk about on the show, I need to start tending that garden again and muting those words. But what if it wasn't a matter of blocking out the discourse because I think for you in particular that it's hard is to impossible. Do. Day job makes that hard also. What if we just went in with a different perspective regarding the discourse? Because this is one of the ways I don't entirely relate to you. Yeah. Because I don't bring the discourse in with me. Yeah, you I, never like, I, engage with I it. I don't even seek out the discourse. You do not care what other people think about a thing. Yeah, no. And I think it's a reflection of my introversion where I'm like <laughs> Um, I find my thoughts interesting. Like my thoughts are something I like to process on my own. And then perhaps after a period of time present where you form your opinions externally to yourself. So engaging with the, the discourse and talking about a thing is part of the way that you like solidify and your usually thoughts. Usually I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Right. Uh, but this, this but week I did the not. The MCU in particular is a, is a sore spot for you. Like, it's a place where you are kind of tender and vulnerable, I feel. Uh, I mean, I think all these superhero-type stories I'm tender and vulnerable mm -hmm. with because I love them so much, and I think that's where the danger uh, enters. I think that right now, superhero stories cinematically are more popular than they've ever been, and with that popularity comes a lot of voices, right? right? Yes. And within those voices are negative voices. So... When I read like, uh, all right, so Usagi Ojimbo, mm -hmm. one of my all-time favorite things. 
Usagi Yojimbo, extremely popular and well-respected comic book, but not as many people are reading Usagi Yojimbo as watching Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Therefore, the majority of the interaction you see around Usagi Yojimbo is positive because the people who are talking about Usagi Yojimbo are the fans. Mm -hmm. But when you enter into the discourse around Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, or again, something like Batman or Superman, so many people have thoughts about it, you're going to get a wave of negativity. And you have to manage your relationship with that negativity. Yes. Especially if it's in opposition to you. Yes, especially if it is charging you with this negative emotion that is in turn spoiling your experience around the edges, you know? Yeah, we're not talking about criticism here. Criticism's still valid. You right. Can, you can still criticize things. But if you're experiencing what I experienced this past week and the discourse is bringing you down... And it is tainting for you what should be a solitary, wholesome experience between you and the work, you and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Well, it's preventing you from having your own opinion. Exactly. So I think using some of what we learned from talking about Michelangelo and the last Ronin and taking what we treat as truth and like turning it on its head. So... I feel like what is happening are two parallel truths for you. The first truth is what happens in the MCU matters to me. And that is a truth that brings you a lot of joy and fulfillment and meaning to your life. It's a story that I am invested in. <laughs> exactly. And same here. I love it so much. But the second truth that you suffer from that I do to a lesser degree is because the MCU matters to me, what other people say about the MCU matters to me. And I would just like you to turn that on its head and go like, well, what if that isn't true? Because you've been living with that being true for a while and it is spoiling your experience to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I like what you're saying. I'm gonna to try to do what you're saying. And I do think this also fits nicely with what Joshua Williamson and Jamal Campbell are doing in Superman number one, which hits comic book shops this upcoming Tuesday. Yes. To me, this Superman number one is really using Superman as a platform to talk about influence, right? Yeah. A lot of times when we're talking about Superman, we're talking a lot about his choices and his autonomy. Him being a symbol as well. Yeah, him being a symbol, but be, like he has all of this power and it is up to him to make these choices of who do I prioritize? Where is me stepping in going too far? A and I feel like when we're talking Superman, that is an important conversation because we all do have our own powers and it is up to us to make good choices. But the conversation this Superman number one seems to be having is what are all of the micro influences we're making on Superman mm, Yeah. that influence him and shape the decisions that he makes? So the story starts with a young Clark Kent in his bedroom listening to a mixtape made by Pete Ross. 
and his parents are downstairs going like, what should we do about this Pete Ross character giving our Clark this music that um, Martha thinks might have a negative effect on him. And you can see this page right now. DC has released the first few pages and it's Martha just screaming up to Clark, listening to this music too loud. Right. And Jonathan Kent and Martha having a conversation about this negative influence that Pete Ross is having on him through that music. And later we see Clark Kent working at the Daily Planet and he's still listening to this mixtape, which shows us Pete Ross is still influencing the choices that Clark Kent is making today. And so is his relationship with Lois Lane. And so is his relationship with journalism. And so is his relationship with the people he saves. So is his relationship with Lex Luthor. Exactly. So in this first issue, Lex Luthor has realized that Superman is listening for him all of the time. And so for all of the people who are important in Superman's life, he has an ear out for them and he hears them in his mind. Lex Luthor has taken this as an opportunity to say, okay, I can be subliminally and not subliminally influencing Superman's choices from prison. Yeah, yeah, like during a fight with Live Wire, Lex Luthor is influencing slash mocking Superman in his choices of how to take down that character. It's a really fun setup. And Superman number one is presenting a story that is very Lex Clark forward. And part of our conversation with Joshua and Jamal is whether or not this relationship can be defined as a romance. Mm -hmm. And I, I appreciate their response to that question, even though I may not actually agree <laughs> with it. And another part of this conversation is about Pete Ross's influence on Clark and what exactly is on that mixtape. Yes. It's always exciting to have a new number one, especially for yeah. like such an iconic character Absolutely. as Superman. And I honestly think that, ooh, um, expectation is the enemy of a good time. <laughs> but um, like, I love the conversation that Joshua and Jamal have started. And I'm so excited to be covering a Superman relationship on the podcast. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have not done that yet. We have not covered Lois and Clark. Superman has come up several times in this podcast. We did an episode about the Richard Donner movie with Sean Eastridge from the Missing Frames podcast. We talked to Dan Jurgens about the death of Superman. We talked to Mark Wade about his relationship with Batman. We talked to Nicole Maines and uh, Leah Williams about Power Girl and her relationship with Krypton we and are Superman. Certainly, we are certainly taking a tantric approach to finally giving you guys Lois and Clark. It will happen. This is the fifth anniversary year of Comic Book Couples Counseling. It feels like a good year to cover Lois and Clark, but we're not ready to commit to a date just yet. We are loving just teasing you. Yeah, uh, so uh, sit back, enjoy this conversation. It doesn't spoil Superman number one in any way. Yes, we have read the comic already. We loved it. We haven't read the last two pages. Yeah, they withheld the they two did, pages. They, did, they are also taking a tantric approach. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so there's something at the end of Superman number one that they are hiding. And I'm very curious to see what that's going to be. But we have to wait till Tuesday for that to happen. So uh, grab a cup of coffee, sit down, enjoy some Joshua Williamson and Jamal Campbell's Superman celebration. <laughs> 
Joshua and Jamal, thank you so much for joining Comic Book Couples Counseling. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having us. Oh, we are so stoked to talk Superman. Uh, And I I guess like Lisa and I were talking about this right before you joined on. The comic opens up with this memory or flashback of young Clark Mm -hmm. in his bedroom, his parents down below getting a little upset about the loud music that he's playing. Uh, Pete Ross being a bad influence. And then later on in the comic, we see Clark listening to a Pete Ross mixtape. And my question Uh is, what's on that mixtape? You will find out in probably about a month. Oh, (laughs) Oh, really? Is there a a legit? You have a hit? Yeah, yeah, there's a legit. Yeah, there's a list. I I don't know how much you want to get into this. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that because it was like, you know, you have to think about them as teenagers. And if the idea is this is this something that Pete made for Clark, what does that mean? So it's not something Clark would make. It's something that I would make. It's what would Pete, Pete make, right? And if it's something that, that uh, Martha is like, that's too loud. What is that? You know, I, I think a lot about, and this is something, um, you know, I, I thought about a lot of Clark as like a country boy and living on a farm. And, but if he grew up on the farm and he's a country boy, when he rebelled, that means it's not necessarily going to be country music. Right, that's mom pa's music and their influence. So that means it has to be some kind of bridge. And so uh, I spent a lot of time. I, I definitely spent whole days listening to different music, different genres, and then looking at the lyrics, listening to the lyrics, thinking it was hard at time because sometimes I would think about myself and be like, "Well, I love this song." But that doesn't mean that Pete is gonna love it. It doesn't mean that Clark's gonna love it. And then it was also about on a meta level, what do these songs actually mean? You know, how do they actually? Um, yeah, what do they mean? And is there a way of like teasing things about the story with this playlist? So I was playing on multiple levels and uh, I actually had a list of about 30 songs and then I, I, I kind of boiled it down to 12. And so uh, I don't want to spoil it yet, uh, but I will have, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see what's on the list. Yeah. It's uh, uh, I don't want to spoil it too much. I, I, part of the fun thing was actually trying to find the bridge between the country boy and obviously rock and roll, you know, and like, you know, what was the bridge between those for a young uh, Pete and Clark, you know, it's like, I, I talked to Mark Wade about this sometime over the summer. Cause I was like, I just imagine Clark Kent being this kid that is like, you know, he's Clark Kent and he was living with Ma Pa Kent. And all of a sudden here comes Pete Ross. Pete Ross is like, you need to listen to this. <laughs> like that mm-hmm. was in my head a lot, but yeah, I, I definitely have like a full on list of, <laughs> Uh, of what's on that playlist well we were debating it and you know mm-hmm. you don't have to answer what's on it because you know oh, apparently. Uh, but <laughs> oh, no, we, i 100 know yeah we were trying to figure out like okay well first off like you know really what is clark's age it's a kind of a tricky thing to navigate in comics yeah, how old i have the a cutoff is. I, I said I said a year cut off. I was like, no songs past a certain. Uh, past a okay, certain. okay. Uh, but like, yeah, if, if if Pete was rebelling against like all the country music around him, mm-hmm. I mean, if and if Clark's like a little younger than me, maybe like he's <laughs> listening to like Rage Against the Machine so or, or like Nirvana or something. Uh, I didn't go as far as Nirvana actually. Okay. I okay. almost okay. did Nirvana. I almost did Nirvana. Um. But part of why I ended up not doing Nirvana was two reasons. I actually felt like Nirvana was right on the edge of maybe too far in terms yeah. of his age, maybe like right on the edge. But then also Nirvana was in the Batman movie. And so I yeah. was thinking about that of like, because Nirvana was in the Batman movie, I didn't want to repeat that. And so 
I, I promise you, I put a lot of thought into this playlist. This is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, We're I was just like, here's 12 songs. No, I really thought about it a lot. I'm glad you picked up on that. I've been really curious if anybody else is going to ask that question. Um, if anybody else was going to pick up on the fact that he was listening to that. So, but yeah, I definitely put a lot of thought. Not Nirvana well, though, not Nirvana. And the opening of the book, you know, starting with that memory that flashback and then leading into this gorgeous two-page splash like jamal oh my god uh where you have the memories of clark's life in his cape can jamal can you talk a little bit about setting up the difference between what we see on that first page versus what we get in that splash page with that cape sure um it was very much I was thinking about it like almost in cinematic terms where like the opening is the opening shot of a movie where you have the slow, like this is Clark growing up. This is his home life. And then you cut to like a, like a speeding montage of him becoming Superman and going through his life. And I imagine that being very like quick shots, very like active. That's why it's like in his cape is all red. It's very like, you're not um, lingering on anything. It's very, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And then it's Superman. Big, like, lightning behind him, saving people. Like, this is what Superman means. And that's why it's, like, interwoven into his cave. It's what made him him. It is very much like, this is all you need to know about Superman. Now enjoy the book, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I love- was curious. Oh, go, go, ahead, ahead. go ahead. Oh, no, your turn. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, it was funny, like, with, with Jamal when I'm when I'm writing the script I definitely kind of like I pose I try to pose like challenges to you you know or like here's my thoughts mm-hmm. what do you think you know and I think with this one I remember in the script I was like oh it's Superman saving them uh but I want to have like a montage of who he is right in the background and then when the page came in you had it in the cape I was so excited I was like oh yes 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 and then obviously I think you have you and I have talked about before. There's like a little bit of a spawn cape going on in the book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I love it. I love it. It makes me so happy to see it, you know, that it's like this much more fluid version of him flying. Or instead of just a blur, you kind of see the cape, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. It's I, I funny because, it like, when you. Genius move. Go ahead. It's funny. When you uh, said that, like, I didn't put it together at first, but I totally see it now. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about it, and it's like, I think subconsciously, I wanted to do this thing where, like, Superman is this big Titan, like, almost statuesque figure like he's solid and central on the page and then the motion and action is his cape just flowing behind him and like giving that idea of him being solid and but also this motion like going around him and like how the world breathes around him so I think that was sort of going on subconsciously but like yeah I totally see it I totally understand Yeah, I remember when I called you that time and I was like, oh, I love the spawn cape. And you were like, wait, what? (laughs) I keep going back to that opening scene and that conversation between the parents and Martha going like, you know, I I have concerns. And Jonathan going like, no, our son is steadfast. Mm -hmm. And like, you think about like, uh, Superman being firm, but like the cape is like moving all all around him. For me, this opening scene draws a direct parallel between Clark's relationship with Pete Ross and then Superman's relationship with Lex Luthor, where there is this kind of will they, won't they romance going on. Like, can we talk a little bit about what is going on between Superman and Lex Luthor in this comic? You know, 
I don't think I would necessarily call it a romance, but you know, years ago, I'm, I'm we are comic drop. book couples counseling. <laughs> I know, I know, that's all right. I get it. So uh, years ago, uh, I'm gonna name drop here for a moment. So please, please forgive me for being very name droppy. Uh, years ago, uh, Tom King and I were walking through uh, a hotel lobby, like really late at night, and we're walking, and we ran into Frank Miller. And we started talking to Frank in the middle of this lobby. And you know, we both know him. And, and so we're, sitting, we're talking to Frank. And somehow the conversation of Superman came up. And Frank was like, you know, people think I hate Superman, but I love Superman. And we started having this whole conversation about, about Frank's take on Superman. And, and Frank said something. He was like, you know, Superman is a romance. You know, it's a romance between uh, him and Lois. And I remember uh, t- walking away from that and being like, oh, it's more than that. It's about Superman and a romance between humanity. You know, it's a Superman between uh, uh, Metropolis, you know, between people. Uh, and, and I started, that's always kind of stuck with me ever since, you know. It, it, at the end of the day, it's about Superman's relationships with people, right? And, and, and his impact on people and how he influences them, but how they also influence him. And so I started working on this. I did think about that relationship between Clark and Lex and this idea they've known each other for a long time. They were friends at one point. They've had this kind of... I've been saying this this phrase a lot today, uh, but the the frenemies aspect of the two yeah. of them, and I think this idea that like Lex for Lex to admit that the world needs Superman that is such a humongous step for him, you know, like for him to finally come to that conclusion and to admit he was what was wrong, right? Like for someone like Lex, that is a humongous moment for him, right? To admit that, and for Clark to look at Lex and he sees disappointment. And, and I, again, I've said this a lot today, but the, the idea that he has seen the disappointment in two different ways, right? He looks at Lex and he sees disappointment of what this what Lex could have done if Lex had chosen a different path, right? And then, but he also, the fact that Clark is disappointed in Lex, he's then disappointed in himself because Clark always sees the best in everyone. And I don't know if he can see that in Lex necessarily right now. And so I wanted to play with that relationship between the two of them and that kind of antagonistic friendship they've always had. And, you know, I think that the idea, and it's what Clark is talking to Lois about, where he says, it's like, I feel like Lex is the only person I ever gave up on. And Lois is like, well, Lex gave up on Lex, you know? Uh, I, I just really wanted to play with that dynamic between these two people. I love the idea of friendship in comics. I personally, I find friendship and storytelling to be almost more interesting uh than romance a lot of times you know i feel like we kind of fall into traps of 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 romance often uh i find friendship to be very interesting and uh there's an editor at dc she always jokes around with me about this that uh uh, it's andrea shea she years ago she called me out she's like i think your favorite trope is friends fighting (laughs) and friends (laughs) arguing because you write a lot of friends arguing and I was like, oh, I do love that. I do love when, when, when friends kind of have these moments um, of, of, of anger toward each other, but it comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of wanting what's best for them and how those things come into conflict with each other. So yeah, with this book, uh, I knew it was going to be a major focal point was going to be that, was going to be Clark and Lex. Like obviously Lois plays a really major role and so does Jimmy. Um, but it's at the end of the day, I think the core of the book is going to be about Clark and Lex and that dynamic between them and how again they've they've known each other for a really long time and it's weird for having this idea that you have these two people who have been in each other's lives for this long and the impacts they've had on each other back and forth uh I just wanted to play with those those ideas 
you know um yeah yeah um i'm gonna push back on the romance idea because <laughs> to me i do think i do think a lifelong friendship where you're trying to idealize the other sure. person is inherently romantic and the idea of- and superman is like the most romantic comic <laughs> on the planet yeah sure sure yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we we would be together if we had the same priorities so like here oh yeah from prison, Lex is going, can I forcibly change and influence Superman's priorities with this super court kind of move? I don't, there, there should be a question. There should be <laughs> yeah, a question. No, I, listen, I played with this in the Flash too, because I, you know, when I was working on Flash, I played around with this idea between Barry and, and Eobard Thawne, you know, the idea that Eobard uh, was obsessed with Barry to the point where he wanted to become Barry. You know, and so I wanted to play around with uh, with those ideas there too. You know, uh, there's a moment in my flashbook where Barry and Eobard are fighting because so much of his Eobard wishes they were friends. You know, and and, and there's a part where Eobard uh, Barry is like, "Why won't you leave me alone? Why won't you leave me alone? Like, why do you keep doing this?" And then Eobard looks up at him and he's like, "Because it's the only time you'll ever spend with me." And, and that was a big moment for Eobard to admit that. And then later on in the book in Flash, I had Barry forgiving Eobard for what he had done. Um, I do like to play around with those ideas about these people where it is such an intense relationship and how it can be, you know, to use your words of like romantic. And again, like what Frank was saying, like Superman is a romance. It is, it is. And it is about his relationships with all those people. So yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how much we get into that as we go of those pieces and whether people interpret it and how people pick up on those themes between the two of them. You know, on Comic Book Couples Counseling, like the whole premise of the show is we try to understand ourselves by exploring the relationships between various comic book characters. And we started with mm-hmm. Scott and Gene, but we're now on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles talking about sibling relationships. Oh, but the yeah, one yeah. relationship we've never covered is Lois and Clark because we hold superman as a comic so high and it's intimidating to like tackle you know the comic book we think of superman as the comic book and Mm. i i think what i'd like to talk to you both is about your relationship with superman where you first encountered superman and how your initial idea of superman has evolved since that first meeting and maybe jamal we could start with you sure um my first encounter was the animated series. Like I was a cartoon kid growing up, like sitting in front of the TV. So that was the first time that character came into my consciousness. And it was, you know, it was a very thing of as a kid, like, ooh, look at cool superhero flying kind of thing. And then, you know, as you grow up and as you read more comics and sort of grow up as a character, I very much went through this thing of like, oh, Superman's kind of lame, like, uh. And then it's like, oh no, Superman is trying to portray the greatest in all of us and like getting away from that teenage cynicism and to like no like life can be better life should be better like let's strive for more that's very much like my journey with superman so he went from being like cool toy to not really interested to like an inspiration greatest for of all of us kind of thing so yeah i very much had that journey with the character yeah, I I have grown up with comics like my entire life. You know, my parents read comic books. And so I, I've never lived in a house that didn't have a short box full of comics. So I'm not even sure. I think my first introduction to Superman was actually this. Oh, I'll show it to you. Yeah. Uh, the great, Back the to great the comic book, uh, <laughs> the great comic book uh, heroes. 
uh, by mm. Jules Pfeiffer. Uh, this book is really mm. interesting because it's a collection of origin stories. And there's also some analysis in here and talking about the history of superheroes. But it's fascinating to me because it has Marvel and DC characters in it, like reprints of their uh, origins, but also has things like Dick Tracy and it has things like the Phantom. Uh, you know, it has Alan Scott's origin in here because this predates the Silver Age, you know? Uh, it also has a, a story of the spirit in it. And this is one of my earliest introductions to comics was, was this book. And I think this is it right here. This is probably the first image of Superman I ever saw was this. And so my, my, my first Superman story I read was the first Superman story created. Uh, so that's where my relationship with the character started off there. When I was a kid, you know, Superman, when you're a little kid, I think you become obsessed with this, the, the, the surface level stuff, you know? Like, he has all the cool powers. He looks really cool. Uh, it wasn't until, i say, like the late 80s, early 90s, where I started really reading the character. My relationship with Superman back then was kind of weird because it was like, I was reading the books, but I was young. And so I was only kind of like, you know, you're not going in depth reading with it. You know, you're not going in depth analysis on it. And then you watch the, you know, you watch the movies, you know, uh, that's the stuff that kind of got me. But with Superman, I actually, how do I explain this? The first time I started really reading Superman on a monthly basis or a weekly basis because of triangle numbering um, yeah. was when he died. Mm -hmm. You know, so that is probably the biggest first real uh, Superman story that I was really invested in as it was coming out that I could claim ownership of, right? Because I'm always fascinated with the idea about readers claiming ownership of stories. And a lot of times it's because you got to see you got to see that story live, you know? Uh, and so I claimed ownership of that story, right? And so because I was claiming ownership of Death of Superman and then Here Comes Reign of Superman, my take on Superman is maybe less precious than other people's. You know, mm. like I saw him because so much of that story and this actually feeds into some of the stuff that we're doing. So much of that story is about how people see Superman because he's not in the book. You know, like Superman is this triumphant character who sacrifices himself uh, to save lives. And then after that, it becomes all about how everyone sees him. Right. You look at the stories that were after that with Funeral for a Friend and his impact on people. And then you look at Reign of Superman and the influence he had on those four characters and how they became. Uh, they stepped up, right? They elevated themselves. They stepped into his role because they were like, this is what he would do. You know, he would step up in this way and they wanted to be him uh, for better or for worse, obviously with the Eradicator and Cyborg Superman. Uh, but you look at the humanity of Steel, you know, John Henry, and then you look at uh, Connor. So a lot of my points of view as Superman all come from that, you know? It's like, I'm less precious about him as maybe some people can be sometimes. And I really uh, love just the idea, like how much heart, he has you know because i was because so much of that story was about everyone talking about him you know mm -hmm. you really mm -hmm. saw how much that impact he had on people and there was a meta level of this to it too because it was just about what's going on in the world that was a huge event in our world you know when he died and the ran of superman happened like people were massively interested in superman it's one of the highest selling comics of all time and so for me i have this kind of like i want to say skewed view of the character uh, but it taught me about who he was through different lens. And that's part of why with this book, I am talking about him through different lens because you have Lex and you have Lois and you have Jimmy and you have these villains and then we're going to have the new villains that are being introduced. A lot of it is about how they view Clark, right? And that's why at the beginning, there's that thing about how, you know, a lot of people, was what Paul Kett says, Paul Kett says, a lot of people are going to be telling us 
who Superman is, right? Like they're going to be saying this is what Superman should be doing. But at the end of the day, he needs to listen to his heart. And we know he's listening to his heart because what Clark does at the end, he always listens to his heart. And so that that's sort of my my view of him and kind of my journey with him. Since then, I've just been a fan of the character, you know? Uh, I just really have, uh, I love the work that uh, like Mark Wade and did with Birthright and the stuff that Jeff Johns did with Secret Origin and the stuff that Grant has done, obviously with All-Star. Uh, but I was a big fan of all the stuff that uh, Dan Jurgens had done throughout the 90s. And then you have the stuff with Jeff Loeb and Jeff Kelly's, which has been a character I've been kind of like, I've been in love with for this whole time period. So it's really interesting to be able to kind of finally work on them. And then now as I'm working on them, my point of view is changing because it's a different experience. It's a very different experience. I, I find this fascinating about writing comics. And, and, and I, I always wonder about how like, and I have this conversation with other writers just because you love a character doesn't mean you're maybe the best person to write them, you know? Like, just because you have a passion for that character doesn't mean you're automatically the best person to do that. And so with Superman, there was a part of me that questioned that at the beginning. But once I started getting into it, I was like, oh, no, I do have a lot of thoughts on this character. And I do have a lot of things I want to say about this character. But there's a weird, like, meta-ness to it where it's like, part of the story is people constantly saying something about Superman. I know I'm mm -hmm. saying something about Superman, you know? So it's... uh. I try to get too lost in those holes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, mean, I think the fact that he has such this, this faith in humanity and he doesn't want to do stuff for us, you know, uh, he wants to find ways for us to be the best version of ourselves, you know, and I, I think that's the stuff that I really enjoy writing with him. Oh man, I love that. Getting in holes. Uh, yeah. It's our favorite. Yeah. What's that? What'd you say? I love getting in holes. Getting in those oh, holes. Oh, I know. See yeah, what's in there? yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I get, trust me, I get into some deep, deep, like, I'm in my office by myself all day. So I think about this stuff a lot. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we uh, yeah. cherish Superman and we're very excited about your run. The comic looks killer. We like all the ideas that are in that first issue and we're excited to see where it goes. So we're hooked already. Oh, good. Uh, I kept so... waiting for the butt. You, you were leading toward a butt. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, Brad let's talk have... about it. Brad does have a butt speech impediment. He always think you always hear a butt. Yeah. It's not there. It, it's, yeah, it's not there. There's no butt. There's no butt in this, in this just, praise. It's all praise. And we want those last two pages. And we want those last us. two pages. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're awesome. They're awesome. Uh, Jamal. As Jamal knows, he did a really great job in the last two. It's like a singer uh, post-credits thing. Yeah, so uh, I think well, you're going to get it next week. Yeah, I, a I lot think. of fun, yeah. But yeah, We're looking forward to it. Thank you so yeah, much for yeah. joining us and chatting Superman. Yeah, thank you yeah, for sure. you having us. Thank you so much. It was fun. So the definition of romance, according to the internet, is one, a feeling of excitement and mystery associated with love, and two a quality or feeling of mystery, excitement, and remoteness from everyday life. I think that the Lex Luthor Superman romance falls squarely under that second definition uh -huh. of romance. Uh -huh. I love it, I love it. I also, I'm really now starting to think like, so 
we've teased covering Lois and Clark for a long time yes. on the show, and we're going to do it. Yes, we are. We've also teased that before we do that, I would actually love to cover Diana and Clark, yes. Wonder Woman and Superman mm-hmm. on the show to further extend that tantric Tant- experience and you. to taunt Elliot specifically, <laughs> who does a lot of our art and is desperate for us to cover Lois and Clark. But now I'm thinking, what if before we do Lois and Clark, and Diana and Clark. What if we did Lex and Clark? Especially with this first issue as a springboard. Yeah. Because just think of the level of intimacy with Superman. He is literally in Superman's thoughts at all times. He also can anticipate and understands the kinds of decisions that Superman is going to make. And I think that knowing someone's principles so well is also like a form of like a a level of understanding that approaches romance. I can't remember if we spoil it in the conversation, so I'm not going to do it now, but Lex Luthor does something in Superman number one that I'm trying to figure out. It's like watching Justified. When you watch the first (laughs) season of Justified and you see the relationship between uh, Boyd Crowder and Raylan Givens, you're trying to figure out, like, does Boyd love Raylan or does he loathe Raylan? And actually, is this whole, like, in in Justified season one, spoilers for Justified season one. Where we're doing a rewatch. Boyd has, like, a come-to-Jesus moment. Mm -hmm. And... You're trying to figure out if, if that's, that's legitimate <laughs> or not. Yeah. And and I'm trying to figure out if the angle Luther is is committing in Superman number one is legitimate or not, or just another antagonistic attack. I think from our conversation with Joshua and Jamal, I feel like we've established that what Lex Luthor is trying to do is aim Superman. They both look at each other and say like, with your level of power, I could do this aim. Lex Luthor is saying, if I had Superman's strength and abilities, I would use it to do this thing. Which is not a new concept in their dynamic, but, but I the think, angle. Yes, I yeah. think the, the um, idea of Lex going like, I can aim him, I cannot be him but I can push him in a direction. And the question is, is there any kind of love or admiration from Lex's point of view towards Superman? I think he literally wants that body. Do you do you get any more? I mean, that's what I want. Obviously, that's what comic book couples counseling wants. Yes. And I'm not saying in a sexual way necessarily. Though I kind of am. <laughs> but that, that, like, I do think that there is at the root of their antagonism, love. Profound respect, yes. Yes, but no, I'm saying literal love. Mm -hmm. I think there is love at the root of their relationship. Hell yeah. Now, Brad, there is one thing I would like you to earnestly do before we close out this podcast and transition to our outro material. Because I think that you approved of the idea in concept, but I feel like you haven't really done it. And that is what I said, like the exercise of freeing yourself of the truth that the discourse about the MCU matters to you. And how exactly am I going to do that again? Like this. When you hear that Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, has a 52% (laughs) Rotten Tomato score 
or you hear a critic in a press screening click their tongue, or you hear a negative Nelly taking a big dump on an MCU film, what is the emotion that you feel? You can describe the physical sensations. You can just describe the feeling. Well, it's complicated, right? Because some of those comments, I go like, oh, I, I understand where they're coming from. And I acknowledge why that might be accurate. Yeah, I feel like you're being too intellectual. Just go to the emotion <laughs> of it. I, I, I like to me... It, it's not any one comment where the negative energy occurs is when I am online mm. and I am doom scrolling through the reactions to something. And where it gets complicated is that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is not a perfect movie. And so I relate to a lot of those negative comments, mm -hmm. but my ultimate experience is like, I had a great time at the movies. And I think a lot of the problems that, occur when discussing these films is it's so binary like oh that is a garbage movie or that is a great movie but my feeling is like every movie whether it is ultimately garbage or not contains quality and so I'm feeling this anxiety mm. in that scrolling going like yeah 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 I got it I got it I got it you hated the movie so I'm but are hearing, you telling me there's nothing good in right, that movie right so I'm hearing anxiety I'm hearing maybe a little bit of defensiveness. <laughs> sure, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, do, would you, you would you say perhaps that you are hurt? Uh, I mean, like, that's so... I, I don't know if I would... Like, that seems extreme. That seems almost silly to say that's the case. I'm certainly annoyed. Yeah. You know, like... I, I, like I, and I also feel like there is this narrative going on right now. The, you know, the Marvel movies are 15 years old at this point, or at least the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Iron Man came out in 2008. And I feel like there is a section of the populace that is sick and tired of these things and their knives are super sharp and they are very loud. And I, mm. I, 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 are you afraid? Are you afraid no. of them taking the MCU movies away from uh, you? I mean, like I, I just I want to continue having a good time with them because mm. I am having a good time with them and I'm letting maybe those comments get in the way of me having a good time. Okay, so the emotion you feel <laughs> This is so weird and silly to talk about. I feel so childish. Yeah, okay. So maybe that is the root of some of this emotional pain is that child saying this is the thing that I love. Yeah. And you guys are trying to take it away from me, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right. So, like, you know, I came up in the comic book world in the 90s mm -hmm. where you had to love, uh, you didn't have to love, but when a movie would come out like Dolph Lundgren's The Punisher or Howard the Duck, which we recently screened at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, you found ways to love those very imperfect things. Like, mm -hmm. I spent my whole childhood learning to love imperfect things, and I, I continued that into my adulthood. And my philosophy with all art, whether it's movies, comics, books, or whatever, is that everything has quality in it. Mm -hmm. And like what we do on this podcast is when we approach something and, you know, uh, The Last Ronin, you brought that up earlier. The Last Ronin is something that I find to be highly problematic as a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I've got a lot of issues with that book. But we took it and we found ourselves in that work anyway. So even in something that I find problematic and I don't necessarily like, I recognize there is so much goodness there. Mm -hmm. And I don't like the culture that we have established through things like Rotten Tomatoes where it's either rotten or fresh. And if it's rotten, then 
forget it, it's worth nothing. And that is just not true. And so I also, I guess I get pretty goddamn mad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now (laughs) I want you to imagine what it would feel like if you could watch the MCU in a vacuum and that you... You only discussed it with me and other people who loved the MCU. But is that fun either? Yeah, but I want you to imagine how that would change your viewing experience. Yeah. Um, well, that would mean that the conversation around the thing would be just about the thing outside of its quality. Yes. Right? Like, that's what I want to really talk about. Like, I want to talk about The Last Ronin, Superman number one. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and just accept it as is and then have a conversation about what that means. Mm-hmm. Yes. So does the actual negative discourse outside of that actually matter to that conversation that you actually want to have? No. So no. Does I, it... I want to get rid of the conversation of whether it's good or bad. Right. You know? But you can do that. You can do that. You can't do that for the whole world, but you can do that for you. By muting those words, by by removing myself from the discourse. By changing your truth. Previously, your truth was the negative discourse matters to me. And I want your new truth to be the negative discourse does not matter to the conversation that I'm actually having. Yeah, and so when I encounter that, yeah, when you, I just scroll quickly. You go, <laughs> you go, that's not part of the conversation I'm participating in. Uh-huh. That is not, I do not have to okay. fold that into my truth. Yeah. That being not folded into your truth, how does that feel to you? Do you feel... I think it could feel great. Yes, of course it could feel great. Of course it could feel great. (laughs) But I also think it'll take work. Yes, of course. It'll be a practice. It'll be a practice of going, what are my principles when it comes to discussing an MCU film? What is the conversation I'm participating in? What is the conversation I am opting out of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when we go into a film... Or a comic. Or because a comic, again, or like, any I think, piece like, of media. Superman number one, this is an issue that could stir a lot of conversation, and within that conversation will be a lot of negativity. Yes, so whenever we encounter a piece of media that we want to matter to us, our mantra shall be, all Batmen are valid, this is the conversation I actually want to have. Yeah. Those two things. All right, I like that. I like that. Yeah. I also think that when you encounter something, when I encounter something that just does not work for me, and mm. this happens all the time in comics, where you pick up a new number one and that take by that creator doesn't work, you go, all right, uh, I will unsubscribe to this. Yeah. <laughs> I will remove it from my pull box and I'll wait for the next number one. Yeah. And... I, I I have done a better job of that. Yes. You know, like in the past, I would read certain characters, no matter who was working on them, Spider-Man, Captain America, Batman, Superman, and I would hate read them. Yeah, right? yeah. And I have stopped hate reading things. Like if, if a comic is not working for me, I don't need to pick it up every month. That's right. So maybe our mantra is, all Batman are valid. I'm going to have the conversation that matters to me. I am building my own canon. Yes. Yes. Amen to that. Okay. We can work on that. I could work on that. Don't you feel better? 
I, I mean, like, I, I, uh, the answer is I, I always feel better talking to you on this podcast Aww. and I love the ideas of it. I, I still have anxiety about getting that to work. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That rebel nature is coming through. That yes. skepticism is coming through. Yes, yes, the, yes. The, your impulse to say no first. There, there is doubt, right? There yeah, is doubt. Of course. But uh, with the, your help and you, you know you guiding my hand and reminding me of those three tips, I I, I think I'll become a better uh, consumer. Yeah. I just want you to have more joy. And I wish the same thing for you. And I really mm. appreciate that that's what you wish for me. And it's going to be a very joyful week at Comic Book Couples Counseling. We're actually going to drop two episodes this week. You've just finished up the Superman, Joshua Williams and Jamal Campbell conversation. Uh, the issue comes out this Tuesday. Later in the week, we will be talking to Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly about another comic that drops this Tuesday, Clayface, One Bad Day. Love this book. I love this issue. It's so good. This comic is such a Lisa comic. <laughs> Their take on Clayface is very comic book couples counseling. Mm -hmm. We're really excited to share that conversation with you. We had a lot of fun talking about Clayface, mm -hmm. one of our favorite Batman villains. And then the week after that, we will be going to Emerald City Comic Con. Yeah, first time. Heading to Seattle together, the home of Fantagraphics, Lisa. Yes. We will also be releasing an episode with Daniel Warren Johnson talking about Do a Powerbomb. Mm. And then March is going to be our next couple session month. We will be talking Eve and Mark as experienced in Invincible. And to help us program those four episodes, we got Robert Kirkman to do so. And his take on what comics from Invincible that we should cover is unique, very interesting, and not at all what we expected. Okay, Brad, now that we've gotten all the way to your inner child clutching their <laughs> comics and saying, leave me alone, it's time for my inner teenager to close myself in my bedroom and listen to music way too loud. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore x fan. Lisa, where yes. can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, mm. you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. Like our two Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania episodes. It is an emotional journey. <laughs> Plus all our sleepwalking through Sandman. We have reached the Kindly Ones arc. That's right. We can see the end in sight. Oh my goodness. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. There are a lot of emails waiting to get responded to. I see them. <laughs> I'm going to do it this weekend, I promise. Uh, and if you'd like to visit us at our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, that would be swell. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Hive Social, although it's been a while since I've posted over there, at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. 
So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. So the definition of romance is, according to the internet. Can you? Yeah, move my coffee. Is this distracting yeah, on the podcast? A little bit. Do you not like it when I do that? I don't. Okay, okay, but. But I'm not going to cut. It's such as, we I dis- specifically told you I don't like it when you cut on me. Right, so I'm not going to edit. I'm okay. not going to hit the cut. Yeah. You, you could just. Okay, just one do more it time. Better. Oh, you, <laughs> you monster. <laughs> <laughs>